of Outdoorsman Podcast. Yeah, Brian Cowell, your host. Bob Cowell, yo, 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 what up for show? Jimmy Dalmich. And you got Danielson here as well. Welcome, boys. Hey, hey. Another fun episode ahead of us. We have a, a special episode we've been looking forward to for a while. Um, Captain Jason will be joining us. He's just um, tied up with some, some DNR stuff, so he'll be jumping in here shortly. Um, but this is a, an episode we've kind of teased for a while. Um, so we have... Um, kind of in mine and Bob's eyes, like one of the premier musky uh, fishermen of the of the area. We're kind of starstruck, man. We are, man. honestly, <laughs> we are. <laughs> so um, we've got Spencer Berman on the line. Spencer, how are you? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you coming on, talking to a bunch of shenan- uh, idiots like us and talking shenanigans. <laughs> um, yeah. So Bob and I have been following you for a long time. Um, we've watched you on Musky Hunter, Keys Outdoors, like. We've been watching you for years. Um, so like Bob said, we're a little, little starstruck because we're, we're diehard musky <laughs> fishermen of, of the group here. Bob and I are definitely the, the most diehard musky fishermen. So like I said, we've been following you for a long time. So Yeah, I have like so many questions to ask you about <laughs> fishing with Mike Keys or fishing with Jim Sarek. But we're, we'll save that for... Uh, well, we actually well, said like, I don't know, it was a couple, maybe five episodes ago, we did like a... Uh, like a bucket list, like who's the one fisherman you, you'd want to fish with? And Bob and I both said, like, it was either you or Mike Keys. And it's like, yeah, Mike, <laughs> yeah well, we got a chance to have Spencer. I don't, I don't so. know. Maybe maybe, maybe he's a different guy or something, like, off off <laughs> camera. But on camera, he's, like, the nicest human being I've ever seen. You know, I'm like, God, I, I want to. He's got to be. You can't go fishing with He's got to be that nice. Yeah. <laughs> no, he is. He is. He is. Yeah. So we can save some of that stuff for uh, maybe one day. Uh, hopefully, maybe this year we can book a, a trip with you. Yeah. Do some uh, show us how to actually tie in some muskies <laughs> on St. Clair, and we can uh, we can get some behind the scenes. Um, you know, talk about Jim Sarek and yeah. Keys and yeah. all the other famous musky you know musky guys and personalities. <laughs> you can tell all your secrets. Yeah. So uh, so Spencer, you're primarily a guide on St. Clair. Um, Sinclair, Detroit River. Um, I know you fish professionally on the PMTT, the Professional Musky Tournament Trail. I think that's what yep, it's called. Yep. Um, so I guess let's just tell the listeners, uh, I guess, who you are, how how you got into it, you know, a little bit about Spencer. We obviously know you real well, but let's make sure the listeners do. We know no, all of you. Absolutely. So um, I run Spencer's Angling Adventures. Um, I guide on Detroit River and Lake St. Clair. We do mass and walleye in the spring and switch over to muskies uh, in June when on the opener. Uh, fish muskies from June till December. I've also guided uh, guided Minnesota uh, quite a bit early in my career. I guided Indiana. I did a little bit in Wisconsin. So I definitely lived the uh, the gypsy musky kind of dream, not so much, and then and then settled back here. So I grew up south of Detroit. Now now I'm just north of Detroit. So it, it's close for me. It's where I always wanted to be. You know, I'm definitely a lucky guy than anything else, but with the, the uh, basketball in the spring, it's been a nice uh, nice piece of the puzzle. I've also done a lot of tournaments. I used to do a lot of uh, PMTTs. I used to do every PMTT for quite a few years. And now I just kind of off the circuit what the schedules look like and hit the big ones on Claire every year. And, you know, pick up the PMTT, like the schedule, and have time want to make the time to do it so it's right right so um so you run spencer's angling adventures so it's not just you you've got other captains that are under your umbrella right 
Yeah, so I've got a handful of other guys. They all run their own guide services, um, but I've got I've got five other guys I work with um, that take trips for me uh, under my guide service, so to speak. Um, you know, we all work together, and, and it all just kind of sprung from the fact that I just got so busy, I just can't even come close to handling, you know, the the volume of trips that, that we're running uh, and the demand. Um, so uh, my schedule fills up ex- extremely quickly, and uh, it's a good problem and a bad. Um, obviously I want to get out with new guys. I, I get tons of guys who are really enthusiastic about getting out, but, uh, obviously I'm only one guy and you can only run one trip a day for muskies. So yeah. something's got to give. Right. So, um, so how long have you been guiding St. Clair? So I've been guiding St. Clair. Uh, my first year out here was in 08. Um, I did a little bit 09. I started doing more. And then I was strictly doing muskies on St. Clair in 2011 was the first year I was here for the entire muskie season. No Minnesota, um, nowhere else. Uh, but I was still doing Indiana in the spring because Indiana's an open season. So you can guide down there uh, in March. So I was there March, April um, and then uh, or March, April, May, and then coming back up uh, on St. Clair for opener in June. And then in 2013, I did the bass and walleye strictly, so I never left St. Clair. Was here the whole season from start to finish professionally, other than tournaments and stuff. Gotcha. So my million dollar question is: I, you know, we've all talked about how like that's the dream, right? To be a fishing guide, to be able to be my job, fish all day. But then people tell me like you'd probably start to hate it, right? Like if you were fishing every day, like if you were, if you were like a professional golfer, like you'd probably learn to hate golf. Is there any truth to that, or you just? genuinely just love fishing um no there's a lot of truth to it everything does turn into a job um i still love fishing i love what i do i'm i'm very fortunate in the clients i fish with them i mean most of my guys have been with me for 10 years so we're friends and that makes it you know makes it a lot more fun but um the grind does get to you i mean doing i'm normally about 250 days a year on the water um and then on top of that you have to remember like you've got not only the stress of, of, of guiding people, um, you know, you, the people that you're friends with and you're close with, like I got a lot of guys like even the Brad Rue from Muskie Debate, some other guys that I've become really close personal friends with and go on trips with our wives and things like that. Like I know there's no anticipation coming into their trip. But like I feel more pressure to put them on fish because they're buddies. Right. <laughs> and, and like my guys feel the same way. Uh, and then on the flip side, when you got guys that, maybe are, are a little needier or newer or whatever, maybe a little bit of a hard time as, as far as, you know, guide clients, you know, they're, they're, they're difficult in their own right. So, um, you know, no matter what, there's always that, that stress, um, you know, to do well. And and that's part of the reason why I, I'm here where I am. Cause I, you know, I'm the guy that likes to talk, I talk, I talk to my clients all the time into fishing longer. Right. It's like, I want to try to get as many fish as possible. And, you know, it, it makes your life, it makes it so you can't have a life. Right. So, and then, then, you, then you added all the other stuff when, you know, first week of the season this year, I had like four reels up. I broke two rods. I had half yeah. a dozen. broken, <laughs> And then, you know, you fish 14 hours and you got to come home and spend an hour and a half fixing stuff that shouldn't be broken in the first yeah. place. And you start liking your job a lot less, <laughs> but the day you out there and you know, the, the fourth day of the season for me, we landed three over 50. I watched a, a good client of mine that's been with me for only a couple of years now land his first and second 50 incher in 20 minutes after 25 years of musky fishing without one um you know like that makes it makes the whole thing 
you know, like feel like the dream, you know, I you know, yeah. watch a guy like that. And I feel so emotional and stuff and just watching him get choked up over catching his first 50 after so long and being the one that was, you know, there with them and help him help make it happen. I mean, that's, that's the dream. That's, so. that's gotta be the best part of about the job right there is seeing those clients tying to their first muskie or their first 50. Oh man, that's, that's gotta yeah. be awesome. I can only imagine if, uh, if we ever did that. I, I think like when I was, when I was younger, like I was really into just catching fish, you know what I'm saying? And then as I got older, I just, I, it became more of a, I want to put people on fish right. type thing. Like, and I get a lot yeah. of enjoyment out of taking my kids out yeah. or taking my wife out or taking yeah. anybody out and putting them on fish. If I don't catch anything, like I'm not, I'm not bent up about yeah. it, you know, but like, yeah, I, I totally understand that. And if it, that as a job, you know, it is, it's gotta be rewarding, but it's also gotta be tough when you, cause I'm sure that there's days it's, it's musky fishing, right? So oh, yeah. <laughs> it, there's gotta be days where you roll a donut or you, you, you know, or you, you have a, you have some near misses and stuff or like deal that. with so. four footers on St. Clair. <laughs> oh man. I've, I have oh, yeah, seen. You know, it, yeah. There's no doubt. Like it's, it definitely can get to you. Um, I mean, honestly, the, the, the biggest downside of the job is, is the grind. I mean, like I do, I mean, you know, your my, my hummingbirds that I use in my boat, like they track your time on the water time that the graphs up and running. I mean, last year I was at like tw- like 2300 hours on my boat plus i did some days doing television shows and stuff like that so you're talking 2400 hours of on the water work time wow in a nine period so when you factor a 40 hour week job two weeks vacation you know that that's 2000 yeah we're 400 we're 400 hours ahead of that in nine months and that doesn't include one minute off the water yeah. What, what are you doing on your vacations? I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you're not musky fishing down in St. Clair. Trade shows. I, no, I, I don't take vacations during the season. So um, when I take a vacation, it, it's with the wife somewhere warm in the winter. <laughs> you got to have a really like, un- understanding thing I come to a vacation. Yeah, the closest thing I come to a vacation during the season is a tournament. Because yeah. I still do love tournament fishing. I, I mean, if there, was, if there was a lot more money in musky tournament fishing, I would never miss a, a tournament. I love it. Yeah. Did you were you on the uh, on the uh, the PMTT this year? No, no, no. So I haven't done it since 2018. Eight, 2018 was the perfect year for me. The third qualifier was on St. Clair, which obviously is in my backyard, and then the the championship was in Indiana, which I guided for a long time. Yeah. So I, I we did the whole trail that year. So let's get into that because I want to I want to that's one of the topics I want to cover first because I I want to make sure we have time for that. So. On the PMTT side, so that 2018, um, you guys dominated the St. Clair event. Like you and um, yeah, you, who, was, was who was your partner? Was it, was it Matt? Yeah, Matt Quintano. So yeah. like Matt and Jay Quintano are two brothers who run a guide service around here. They've, they've been um, basically with me since, you know, first couple of years. Um, unbelievable fishermen, a great tournament partner. They were, they're both in my wedding. We're good friends and it's a great it's a great match like we fished together really really well yeah but you guys you guys won the st Clair leg of that year right yep by a lot from what i remember well we set the point we set the record for points and at the time fish catch um but uh no there was there was one team kind of closer on our heels but we had a fish to give at least and then we actually fished uh to be honest with you, we fished a really bad event, like really bad. Yeah. We went four for 13 on the first day. Oh, geez. And 
it was it was i lost we lost fish in ways that i it just you just don't really see that often i mean especially the guys that should know better yep. um and just bad luck bad timing bad everything um you know like it it, caught, it topped off with like 20 minutes to go i i had like a 48 to 50 come up and inhale an entire pounder i watched the whole thing right at my feet it literally came up swooped on the pounder you know ate the whole thing i watched it close its mouth and I, I creamed it right back. You know, she kind of turned. So it was, it was like, you know, kind of a gift fish. <laughs> and I, I smashed it right back into her. And literally she turned around and the whole lure just popped out. Never, never was even hooked. My and it's like, Jesus. you've got to be. <laughs> but yeah, we, we actually got, on, we got on stage that day. We were in fourth after day one, we got on stage that day. And after like a couple questions from Tim Black, he was the tournament director. He finally looked at us and was like, wow. I've never seen two guys that are so angry about being in fourth. <laughs> and we really don't want to tell anybody like how many chances we had. We didn't want people following us or anything. we're just like, yeah, we, we left a lot on the table. And then luckily for us, the second day we went out, it's a shorter day. We, we went four for five and that was good enough to get the win. So yeah, it, it, was, it was great. Well, we always, <clears throat> we always follow along, along on the PMTT. I know uh, keys, he used to always follow it. I don't think he did this last season. I think he's done following the PMTT for a while. No, no, he yeah, he was sponsored by them. There was you know he got kind of paid to fish it and things, and that yeah, you know, he's not doing that anymore. So yeah. it's still fun to follow along, especially for the diehard muskie guys, just to see. I mean, Bob, oh, and yeah, we, and we, with we've, social- we've talked about doing it and doing the tournament. We're definitely uh, not good enough, but we thought about just doing it, just to do it. Do I it. Mean, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, 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 I think some of those tournaments, like you know, it, it seems like some of those tournaments, like Cave Run, or yeah, they go down know, and like like it, it, it's anybody's ball game. Yeah. Like, it's it's the winner of our two day events catches like two fish. I mean, there's obvious <laughs> there's some obvious advantage to having right. you know. And kind of something that I don't know if we want to cover that or not, like the pan optics and stuff yeah. like that, or they're like, you know, you got yeah. big money and big boat, yeah. like, yeah, you, you might be able to get on fish faster or whatever. You're still going to put the lure in still, front of her face. There's still a varying uh, degree of luck, <laughs> you know, that comes with some of that <laughs> skill when it comes to some of those lakes, yeah. you know. Especially when you're dealing with some of the smaller or the, the tougher bodies of water. I can say some of the tougher, tougher bodies of water. I mean, it definitely can be anybody's ball game. And and truthfully, like I mean, Kevin Nash has won uh, more of the cave run events than everybody else by a huge margin, and I mean, he's got a, a tough um, Sox Magnum. Yeah. Not a nice boat by PMTT standards. It's a great fishing boat, but I mean, it's nothing fancy. But he's just he's got a deal down there. He goes down there. He's a hammer. Yep. Yeah, you see some of those boats out there, and they're just like some old, like seventies, like <laughs> some old school boats. But hey, it it's a matter. real mix, man. It is, yeah, yeah. That's why. That's why really I thought is. about like it would be fun to do just to do once. Didn't yeah. matter if we qualify or place it, just to say we we did. It. I think it'd be a blast. But it's so, a great camaraderie. It's a good time. Yeah. Are you planning on uh, fishing it this year? No, I. I'm not fishing it this year. I'm really hoping next year they're on St. Clair, um, and I can I can bring myself to do it. Um, but no, I'm not doing it this year. I'll do the two major, probably three major tournaments on Lake St. Clair this year for muskies, and that'll be it for my tournament year. Okay. Hey, if he's not going to do PMTT this year, we should definitely do it. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So 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 the PMTT Professional Muskie Tour. So. A um, couple questions I wanted to ask you about. One, the first is your thoughts on everything that went down last year with the pan optics. 
I know it was, I don't know if it was the last leg, but those guys put like eight fish in the boat or something and they were using panoptics, which is the forward facing sonar. We've talked about it on, you know, with other guys um, and just kind of get their thoughts, but it's kind of, what, what's, what were your thoughts when that all happened, when they kind of banned panoptics last year in the PMTT after that happened? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a tricky topic. So it happened at Cave Run, or sorry, at Eagle River. It was the second event. They caught 10 fish, I believe. Um, and, I mean, I, I love my panoptics. I love my live, I should say, my, my live imaging. And uh, in my opinion, assuming that the DNR does not take a stance against it, which to this point there's been talk of it, but nothing put in writing, uh, and obviously no laws have been passed, in my opinion, I mean, it's it's the biggest new thing that's come into fishing since probably GPS, way bigger than down image or side image or anything like that. And I mean, given the fact that you're talking the professional musky trail, this isn't, um, you know, this, this isn't a bar league tournament. It's not a weekly league. It's not a locals event. I mean, it's supposed to be quote unquote the best musky fishing in the world, even though it does tend to be a much more blue collar, you know, blue collar tournament trail that say the nwt or you know lord forbid bass master like yeah. that but still it's supposed to be the best guys in the world and you got to let them use the, the the you know the technology that's out there that's legal to use so i was disappointed in their decision i was really disappointed they did it mid-season because yeah. i think that was really wrong um i think if you wanted to make a movement against it you you should have done it after the year was over but there was a huge pushback against it so i, I don't I don't envy Tim for his decision of having to make that mid-season because a lot of people were very upset on either side. Yeah, I we've literally had this exact same conversation. We're we're pretty much on the same board because, like you said, it's a professional musky tour. Like this isn't the, your average Joe. It's not like your weekend warrior tournament. Like it's professional. The best of the best. You should be able to use the best of the best, right? Like if if you know, panoptics isn't that expensive. Well, a couple thousand dollars. But like if you're talking well, professional, you know. Well, hold, hold on a second. Like you have to remember too. Like when you talk to your Bassmaster guys, like they're, you know, they, they'll be the the Bassmasters and MLF would be the two most tournament series in the country going right now with the best anglers. I mean, obviously the Bassmasters has a lot of people on it that make a lot of money in fishing, but the bottom half of that trail is literally a bunch of guys that are trying to make it. And half of them are living in their trucks. I mean, a bunch of them drop out every year because they go in with not enough money to pay all the tournaments. So unless they cash checks, they can't keep going. Yep. I mean, it's very common. They start with 125, they end with 100. So these guys are like eating ramen noodles. But guess what? They all prioritize electronics to make sure that they can compete at that level. Right. And if you're talking professional, that's where it's got to be. So, yep. I mean, to me, I don't think that the financial obligation is is that is necessarily a a deal breaker as far as what we should consider. Right, and I agree. Like the fact that he did it mid season was like those guys who kind of ran that whole that that leg at least who dominated that and got caught those ten fish. Like they pretty much just ruined their tactic for the next leg. And I, I don't even remember what happened with the finals, but yeah. to do it mid season, like like you said though, it, it should have been something that was addressed in the off season. And, uh, you know, maybe implemented for this upcoming season if that was the case. But you're right, though. That had to have been a terrible, terrible decision to make. But he was getting a lot of flack about it. No, he was. And, and obviously, put it to a vote, which it's hard to argue with the logic there because you got to 
got to play to you got to play to your your anglers. And this is still a tournament series that you know needs you know we we're not it's not full. It's they, they need people to show up. They need anglers there. But I mean, they, let's not forget Nolan was not the only person trying to snipe muskies in that tournament. I guarantee you, there was at least ten or fifteen other boats doing the same thing oh, yeah. that just didn't get on the plane. Right. And he also went and run and skunked with all the with all the graphs and all the electronics. Yep. And didn't get it done. I so mean, like it's not it's not like when you get enough of them and you get good at it that you're a guarantee or a lock, you know. Yeah, you still got to get them the bite. You still got to get the muskies right. the bite. Oh, yeah. You got you still got to keep them on the hook. You know, like there's so I mean, much more to it than just finding them. <laughs> I mean, you watch the bass guys. I mean, everybody has their strengths and, you know, like there's certain tournaments where the guys that are really good with electronics and open water, you know, have an advantage because there's an open water bite where live imaging can give you that edge. But then there's also going to be tournaments where they're under docks and they're in slop and in grass mats and things where the guy, you know, the, some of the old school guys that don't even use, don't even know, you know, really don't use those at all yeah. are going to, are going to kick the young guns butts. I mean, it, that's just part of the game, and it's always been that way. Yep. I yep. mean, the younger generations better with their electronics. <laughs> yep. yep. It doesn't always mean you're going to catch more fish, though. Yeah. Yeah. Beware of the old guy. Yeah. The, 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 the old guy on the tournament yeah. trail. He knows a thing or two. He does. <laughs> He's got the experience. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Oh, so, I mean, think about the progression of fishing, though. I mean, the old guy back in the day, think about how angry he was when somebody got GPS and you didn't have to line up the dock and the tree on the shoreline. And he was the only guy to do with the reef. Yep. <laughs> yep. The way the progression went. Yeah. He didn't have a, a Navionics and Lake Master chips spot and spot lock and yep, all these things. Had a rope with uh, knots tied on it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, another controversial topic in the tournament world. Um, so obviously we we all know about the the, the famous Lake Erie scandal. Um, we're, we talk about it to death. So here's our soundbite. We got weights and fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what are your thoughts on the Lake Erie walleye scandal? Just on the tournament side of it, like what were your thoughts when you heard that? And I guess maybe what do you think it's going to do to the fishing? I guess community. Um, I mean, my thoughts on it obviously were, I was pretty mortified by the whole thing. Um, but I will say though, as someone that's been in the industry for as long as I have and, and followed the industry, I also, am, you know, I like to nerd out on fishing period. So I've done a lot of homework and research on this stuff. And I mean, this has been going on for a long time. Yeah. I mean, this is not the first feeding scandal. This has been done forever. Yep. I mean, this is one of the oldest traditions in fishing, as much as it's sad to admit. Yep. So like, when everybody was so shocked and shaken, I mean, the PMTT had a huge seating scandal. I mean, uh, that Christensen guy, the Bass Masters and, ML, or, and uh, FLW took a bazillion dollars and took and kept all of it um, when he was cheating and caging fish. I mean, it's, you know, you had the guys in Texas cutting the tails on fish that fit in the slot. I mean, it's... <laughs> it's been going on for a long time. So I, I, I think the saddest part to me was that when it, when it comes to competitive, unless you have the money uh, and, and capability to put a judge or a observer like Bassmasters and MLF does in every single boat, it, you know, how do you keep everybody honest? Cause there's just so many easy things to cheat. You can have buddies bring you fish, you can cage them, you can do whatever. So how do you keep them honest? And, it seemed like for the last 10 years or so, the polygraphs have kind of been the answer that a lot of us were hoping for to keep people honest. 
And the fact that these guys had passed polygraphs for years, it, it was just, you know, was, was really depressing because it just proves that, you know, it can be done and that it's not as bulletproof as we were, as we were hoping. And I'd say the other major takeaway is the fact that if you caught the world record walleye, you know, today, you would not get the publicity that that cheating scandal got, right. which is really sad. No. I mean, it was on CNN, MSNBC. I mean, it was on every major news channel, which that's my concern is like it's going to shed such a negative light on the fishing community that people didn't even realize this was a thing. They didn't like we obviously know about it just being in the fishing world and like you fishing tournaments. You know what's been going on. You're not surprised by it. It wasn't like, yeah, you're mortified by it. But like all these people that are seeing it on news, it's all over TikTok. It's all over Facebook. Like. That's my concern is the negativity it's going to get. I, I, I think in, I mean, but the, in, today's, in today's day and age, I think that, um, you know, to, to kind of shed a little bit of silver lining on it, like any press is good press, right? You know what I'm saying? Like, even though like what the, the whole cheating scandal was absolutely horrendous, like the fact that there's people out there that had no idea that you could win as much money as you can win on right. a walleye tournament. They didn't even know that there was walleye wow. tournaments. Right. So I think it, the silver lining there might be that this has brought to light uh, this world of tournament fishing, which may draw more anglers, which is cool and, and more competition is a better thing. But at the same time, like you said, it's, it's definitely like a black eye on the whole yeah. community and, and, and everybody that, that really holds it near and dear to their heart. So yeah, yeah I, I, I get, again, being devil's advocate, trying to see some kind of, <laughs> some kind of good, no, I, a terrible situation, but yeah, I, I think you're right though. I mean, I, I don't know the numbers, but I, I, I am under the belief that the, you know, the, the fall brawl on Lake Erie, um, was not necessarily, I think it was, I don't think it was down at all as far as participation and things go. If it was, it wasn't much. I don't know the numbers, though. I don't, I'm probably speaking out of turn, but I think they had a good turnout overall. And, I mean, if you look around at all their sports, I mean, look at steroids and baseball and, yeah. and all the steroids and all the sports and, you know, deflate gate and all this stuff. I mean, everybody's... <laughs> there's, there's a cheating scandal in every sport, it seems like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This one just had, I mean, this one just had very good video proof that was very yeah. dramatic. And that, that yeah. video is the only thing went viral. Right. Well, I'm just, I mean, I, I'm hoping that it, the positive light of it is just, is that tournament director that's kind of stepped up and said enough's enough, got those fish open. Hopefully that sheds enough positivity. Like, Hey, they were willing to do that. Like that guy had some balls to, to grab those fish and cut it open. So. Yeah, but cool. there, there's a lot of controversy about those guys for a long time, yeah. too. Yep, yep. Yeah, there's a whole backstory on those guys Once now that yeah. it's kind of out. But it's got to be like... I heard a lot of it. I heard a lot of it for a couple for a couple of years. I know a couple of guys that fished that trail. Oh, so. really? Okay. <laughs> there was a lot of questions. That's got to be shitty. That like you're that guy. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody yeah. in the whole tournament knows that you're cheating. They yeah. can't necessarily prove it, and everybody's just like, <laughs> you have no friends. You know what I'm saying? Like you're just you uh, that that. Yeah. that well, now they that. really have no friends. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I hope they never they're, fish again. They're not going to fish for a long time. Yeah. Right, so. You know, so I, 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 I have hope, a question. I hope they get convicted. That'll be a big push. So I have a question in regards to you, because I, I heard you say earlier that, uh, you know, the musky scene really doesn't have a lot of money involved in the, you know, in the musky fishing scene, the musky tournament scene. So what... What's the main difference between the walleye scene and the musky scene? Because, I mean, essentially, musky fishing is 
just as fun, if not more fun than walleye fishing. But why is it that there's more money involved in walleye than there is muskie? Like what's, what's the difference between the two? Well, I mean, walleye, the walleye series does have a lot more money, but it's still very, very hard to make, uh, make good money in the walleye scene as well. It's just easier than the muskie scene, but in general, um, there's a lot of different factors that play, but I mean, walleye ultimately has exponent. I mean, probably at least a factor of 10 to probably 10 or 20 times more anglers that fish for them. So it's a bigger market. Um, there's more sponsorship money that comes into it. Um, the coverage and the overall presentation of the PMTT has never done itself a ton of favors for getting national recognition. Um, it's not televised. It's not covered great on social media. The coverage is too delayed where people aren't, I mean, by the time, it comes out. A lot of people have kind of lost interest, in my opinion. If you watch the way the NWT has has really uh, promoted their trail over the last couple of years, I think they've done a very good job of trying to taking a, 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 a BSS approach to a regional fish. That granted, it's a it's a hugely popular regional fish, but still they've done a good job of allowing themselves to promote the anglers and allowing people to get sponsorship money to come in and fish it. I mean, the NWT is a lot of people in that trail, you know, the John Hoyers of the world, the Springles of the world, that they're they're getting paid money to go out and fish it. And, you know, not, not only is it covering their entry fees, but they've got a lot of money coming in from sponsors. When it comes to PMTT, everybody's on their own dime. Nobody's got, you know, almost nobody has sponsorship money unless, you know, you know somebody that is going to just throw you some some money just, you know, because your buddies or, or because your real job has a big contract with their real job kind of thing. Um, it's, it's become very hard to figure out you know, or, or to bring in that money externally to make it easier for guys like me to fish it. Yeah. The PMTT, like I, I don't think Bob and I even knew it existed until we started watching keys outdoors. Like we've been, we have been okay. musky fishing for, I don't know, five, six years and didn't even know it was even a thing until we started found keys outdoors and started watching. And I'm like, there's a professional musky trail. Like, like, oh man, we got to do this. Right. And yeah, I mean, we'd watch musky hunter. We watch all the, you know, all the other lenders angling ads, like every musky show we could find. And like, yeah, n- I, nobody talked about it. You couldn't, there was no national coverage. Like you're right though, but all our trail for sure. Yeah. I see uh, captain Jason has joined us. How are you captain? Oh, I'm good. I apologize for being tardy. How dare you? Just a little bit more of a hectic day than I had planned for. So (laughs) glad to be here. And again, sorry, Spencer, that I was late to the show. For shame. (laughs) All right. So I think that's enough on the controversial topics. Anybody else got any other questions on that? Well, I think we're about to get into some more controversial topics. Are we? Oh, yeah. I guess we can talk about St. Clair. So let's, let's get into... Lake St. Clair and muskie fishing. So, so Spencer, you, you fish it 250 days out of the year. So what's the current state of the, the muskie fishery on St. Clair? Because I know it's had its ups and downs. We had VHS, uh, what, 10, 12 years ago, something like that. So what's the, the current, I guess, state of the muskie population? Um, that's fairly debated depending on who you ask. Um, I would say overall, the lake is very healthy. I'd actually say that the, the muskie population, um, we've seen a, we've seen a pretty significant decrease in numbers, but we've also seen a huge explosion in our bait fish population. And I think that that directly correlates to the, our, our lower numbers. Um, also obviously the pressure for the last 10 to 12 years has gone up significantly, especially for casters. 
So like when I first started camping in 2000, you know, you know, water 2010 and 11. There was nobody out in open water casting for the most part, and those fish were just so dumb, and they were so catchable. I mean, it was, it was a riot, and they've now been caught plenty of times. Yep. They get they get pressured throughout the year. The trolling pressure has always been constant for a hundred years, but overall, I think that the population of the lake in general is, is very very strong. We have a huge push of big fish coming through the system right now that are popping out around probably about 53 um, this last year. It'll be a little bit bigger next year, uh, which is exciting. Uh, a lot of fish in that 48, 53 range that should probably get 53 and change, maybe to 54 this year. And those are those first years coming through after VHS. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so, so are you seeing more like 50 plus inch fish right now, like in the last couple of years then? It, it's key. It's been going up the last couple of years as, as because we have, we had a gap, like DHS created a gap in the system uh, that we've been watching go through. Like we I mean, it's, it's nothing new and it, obviously it's worked its way up. Like at one point we were, lo- we're low on, you know, fish in the mid forties and things and then high 40. And we went through a stage where it's like, it was either 47 or over 50. Like we, like there was, there was no in between. And we just kind of watched this gap go through, which is not unexpected given what happened to the fishery. Um, and right now getting a fish over, you know, 52 this year was very, very tough. I mean, if you look at the musky bash, which is our biggest trolling tournament of the year, um, you know, it's a 52 inch minimum, big fish wins, um, no, no fish were caught, Mm. which is never, I mean, we've never had a year that we couldn't fill out three places. We had some years that it, you know, it took some doing to get three different boats to have a 52 plus incher. But this year we had none. <laughs> wow. I mean, that, that's pretty shocking. Now, you don't troll much, right? Like, you're mainly a caster? No, I trolled one day this year. One day? That was the first day in three years. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Is that just because you prefer casting or you just feel like you can catch more? Or you just, to me, trolling is it's, no, it's I, just boring as hell. Like, I hate it. I, I, I know guys can catch fish doing it. It's just to me, I just get bored. I, I just, I'm not a um, fan. I, I'm I'm definitely a caster. I mean that that's always been my thing. I used to do a lot more trolling just by necessity, um, and also, you know, er, well, earlier in my career, like when we started doing open water stuff, it was, you know, I was the only guy out there doing it. No one else to talk to. I had no one else to bounce ideas off, and there was just a lot of figuring. Big Lake with a whole new concept, really. So the, the trolling allows you to cover more water and uh, and to stay kind of diverse when you kind of swing and miss at first. But through the years. Um, I've just realized that I'm, I'd rather be casting. I think that when you're in a smaller boat, not a 31 Tierra, but you're in a smaller boat, your chances of catching big fish, in my opinion, is exponentially higher casting, uh, that, than, than trolling. Um, so that's been a huge factor for me. And then the other one is that I've got two guys that work for me, Captain Rick Wacassi and, uh, and Captain Chris Button. Who both do cast and troll trips. So when if you contact Spencer's Angling and you want to do a cast and troll trip, I'm going to send you to one of them. Gotcha. Okay. So I don't. Know. Okay. My guys want to. My guys to tell them we're going down swinging. <laughs> well, that's our cup of tea for sure. I mean, we go down swinging a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> a lot. Yeah. 
So, uh, still talking about St. Clair. Um, so, in for for the listeners out there, yeah, Michigan has a catch and release season for uh, that is open year round for muskie, and uh, you've been a huge proponent um, for creating an exemption for Lake St. Clair uh, for various reasons. And one, do you want to go over that? Like, why why you believe that uh, catch and release? You know, we shouldn't. We should have like a, a a short catch and release season, or a shorter catch and release season than the rest of the state. You want to talk about that first, and then I have a follow up for that. Yeah, sure. I mean, when when that was proposed to do it statewide, there was a lot of reasoning, a lot of logic for it. So the reason that catch and release season originally came about, other than the fact that the Michigan Michigan wants to move to catch and release seasons in general. But the, the driving force was on the west side of the state, the Michigan Muskie Alliance and the clubs over there. You know, they had issues with um, the season opening in April, guys going out and catching and keeping fish around spawn. So they wanted to increase their catch and release season. Um, however, St. Clair, we were always closed until June. So we didn't have to worry about people fishing early season and keeping them around spawn. Uh, and also we're an all natural fishery. So if you look around the muskie world in general, there's almost no trophy muskie fisheries out there that are natural reproduction that allow you to fish muskies on spawn. And I feel very strongly that it's not good for our fisheries to beat those fish up when they're spawning and we rely on natural reproduction. If you're down south and you're dealing with fish that don't you know, don't naturally produce effectively. They go through the motions, but it doesn't actually take like in all your reservoirs in Indiana, you know, in a lot of those Southern areas where they stock them heavily, then it's no big deal. But when you're dealing with fish that if they don't spawn, we don't have a fishery anymore. That that's a, that's a big deal. And honestly, if you look at what's happened on the Michigan side of our fishery over the last five to six years, it's jaw dropping how bad the Michigan fishery has become. So that kind of adds going in my, you kind of answered my follow-up. My follow-up was going to be like, what was the, I know, again, you were a big proponent for um, creating that exemption and had argued it at certain points with the, uh, the natural resources commission. But um, I was wondering what their argument was, but I guess you kind of answered that. You, you said the Michigan Muskie Alliance and other entities wanted to be able to target during the spring and things like that. Um, but it's well, they still, wanted to stop people from taking home in the spring. So Right. It was already open. We still don't understand gotcha. why anybody takes them home, but you know, but yeah. you know, well, and, you, but, get, you get those old timers that, you know, right? I <laughs> think it's just a big bike. I kind of, I kind of have a story. We have a little bit of a story about that, but we, we so there's, more, we, there's more taken out of St. Clair than anywhere. I'll tell you right now, there's we, more that go home out of Lake St. Clair than any other trophy muskie fishery in the world, bar none, not even close. So we were. Uh, at one point, we had become uh, members of Michigan Muskie Alliance, and we were um, uh, not the St. Clair chapter, but it was the rest of the state chapter that we, because we had targeted, and when we first started muskie fishing, we were targeting a lot of inland lakes, you know, Thornapple and um, uh, what's that one, or oh, Hudson and Ovid. places like that, yeah, Ovid. And we were, tar- we, it's just closer to where we live. So we were able to, you know, in St. Clair is a beast that we did. We weren't ready to tackle until we yeah. understood that sport a little bit better, but either way. So like we were on, like, I think it was like a Facebook forum or something like that. And there was, 
you know, I understand like the catch and release and, and understand in fish handling and things like that. But there are some people out there that are just a little bit over the top about, you know, how to handle muskies and stuff like that. And I'm, I, we're totally for like safe handling, oh, yeah. quick picture, get them back in the water well, that's, safely. That's the internet troll. But, that, but, like these... but there was people that were like, <laughs> oh, yeah. you know, they were posting pictures of holding the fish and they're like, if you don't put your, you know, your right hand is mispositioned and you could injure the gill or whatever. It was just, it was insane yeah, it, how many internet trolls were out there. And at one point Ryan was like, yeah, I'm done with this. Yeah. And he posted a like, Hey, what's the best oh. way to, what's the best way to cook your muskie or something like that. Just some mess with the, Troll the trolls. Well, I knew I wasn't. I knew I wasn't going to renew it because it was just. It got to the point where every single post yeah. on the forum was somebody bashing somebody, and I was like, it I was. just, it was. I just don't even want to look at this anymore. So it was a particular, a particular guy. I don't, I don't remember who it was, but he just, he was that guy who commented on every post, and it was negative every single time. Yeah. So I think I sent it directly to him. I was like, Hey, do you know the best way to flay up a muskie? <laughs> yeah. Like, he, uh, oh my god. Do you flay he, muskies like pike? He chewed me out. I'm yeah, like, Yeah. Oh, my oh god, man. man. Just, just you know, head explosion, but right. Well, yeah, instead of like celebrate, somebody posts a picture of a fish instead of like celebrating, saying nice catch. Hey, you might want to try holding it different. No, he just jumps on their throat and like, oh, you're gonna break its jaw and I, and and uh, kill the fish and blah I blah s- blah. And it's like, come on, man. I saw a lot of that this year of like kids catching muskie and trying, you know, and they're kind of trying to hold the muskie, but and, yeah, and people just, like going just losing just, their that's, minds. That's the trolls. You're gonna find that in every in, sport. But, yeah, but. insane. So no, that's that's ridiculous. I, I yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And they actually, especially in the water's colder. They're, they're tougher than a lot of people give them credit for. Yeah. And I mean, not forget that for, for years, all the tracking studies and stuff they did, they still do tons of tracking studies out east where all these fish are weighed vertically. I mean, everyone actually, if you hold a muskie vertically, it's dead. It's not good for them. I would never recommend it, but they don't immediately. <laughs> like they did that for, four, you know, for 20, 30 years of catch and release. Oh, if you post I mean, a it's, picture it's, like that, you will. I, oh, you might yeah. as well close your Facebook page. I'm, I mean, I, I mean, I, yeah, I understand that. Like, it is, it, it is a, a delicate, a delicate and fragile fish. But at the same point, if it is so delicate and so fragile, and and so elusive, or you know, whatever, then you probably shouldn't target it at all. You know, if you really yeah. oh. care about the muskie population, then don't target them at all. Like, you should not catch them or try to target them because if you're that concerned well, about like it. You said, some people are just day, over the top. Right. They're at just... the end of the day, it's about safely handling the fish and, and getting a thrill out of catching the fish, right? right? right. So, I mean, yeah. No. But that's neither here. Bob loves controversial topics. I do. I trolls. like to stir the pot. <laughs> so is uh, muskie here, spearing Bob, off I'll, the I'll table? I'll give you five. Was that... I said, so is musky spearing off the table now? Is that what's going <laughs> oh, on? <laughs> oh, so you know what's funny though is, is is you can spear musky in certain lakes, and we we go up for the sturgeon spearing event um, at Black Lake every year. And I think it was two years ago. Um, this guy had like a, he had it was a fifty plus inch musky he speared while he was trying to spear for sturgeon, just laying on his tailgate. And I'm like, oh, seriously, man. speared a musky? Like, he sent I, me pictures of this, and I was just like. I felt some kind of way about it. Like it was, it was, I, was I little, mean, it was a I, massive fish. I was a little but I'm sad. Like, yeah. yeah. I was like, I didn't know that they, I, I mean, I knew black Lake had musky, but man, like there was, was a couple of them I thought, but yeah. either way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So kind of going back to what you had just said about, um, you, you made a comment that, uh, that we talked about the catch and release on the, uh, the American side. And do you see a vast difference based on Cause we've only been doing this year round catch and release for what, a couple of years now. Right. When was it? When did they? I think it was just last year. 
No, no, they 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 opened up the catch and release season like sixteen. I want to say, yeah, sixteen or seven. Really? Like <laughs> yeah, time flies. Yeah, um, so ha- are you seeing, uh, you know, based on your experience, cause I know I, I, you fish probably both American and Canadian side, I would assume, but do you see a vast difference in the population of fish or, and, or pressure or, or, or what, you know, what's your take on that? So, I mean, are you saying between the Canadian American side or yeah. the pre yeah. Pre catch and release American and post catch and release American. Well, yeah. Are are you basically seeing a difference uh, because the catch and release has been instituted for the last four or five years? Are we seeing a lower number of fish on the American side versus the Canadian side because the Canadian side does have that where they they protect the spawn? Yeah. So the Canadian side's always had a lot more fish. It's also more of the lake. Two thirds of the lake is Canadian. Right. Um, we we've got our side is is very clear water. It's known for great smallmouth fishing. It's a great smallmouth habitat. But like I said, it's only a third of the lake as well. Um, the Canadian side's always had more fish. So let's call it apples to apples. That's been the way forever. Um, but the American side back ten years ago was fishing a heck of a lot better than it is now. And in the last five or six years, it's really gone downhill. Now, not all because of the catch and release, in my opinion. Everyone has their own theories. I don't. I'm, I don't claim to know. We're talking now, musky. We're in the realm of musky theory, so it's it's not. <laughs> no one has here. But in my opinion, there's. I think there's a. There's three major factors that that's hurt our side. Um, I think the catch and release season, and not only the catch and release season, because the catch and release season hasn't been going on long enough to truly impact the American population. However, before the catch and release season started, we went through a lot of years where the early season pike fishing was getting really popular. Um, and and the DNR, uh, unfortunately, had kind of, I mean, they came out and told our club basically flat out that we can't write tickets for fishing out of season. Uh, because they're too hard to enforce, they always get thrown out, which was also brought up when we talked to, you know, in the, the Warm Water Commission and things, when, when the conservation officers weighed in on their thoughts in the catch and release season, they said, it's so hard to enforce these tickets, you know, that's why we would love to see the catch and release season put in so we don't have to worry about them. Unfortunately, a lot of people were already fishing early season, and I think it definitely has screwed up some of our spawning. However, there's also other things at, at play our American side has gotten a lot clearer with the higher water that came to the system. Our weed growth completely vanished. Um, and it just seems like, it, you know, that our, our side, Anchor Bay, Spillway, all those areas, I mean, they, they don't have the same densities they, they did 10 years ago. And uh, I don't know if those fish, if it's just because of, you know, pressure around spawn, I don't know, water, or, you know, water clarity. Think is a big factor in the bait fish that move with the dingy water so when you lose that that stain in the water you lose a lot of your bait and that's going to affect your muskies um i think all of those have all played in i don't think the pressure is a huge factor the canadian side gets hit way harder than the michigan side and everybody pretty much puts their boat and drives the other side so i, I don't think that's necessarily a factor but um in my opinion I, I would love to see that get reversed i mean i still haven't given up on it but Unfortunately, I don't think there's a ton of support at a state level for it. And I know that when we went before the Natural Resources Commission, they didn't like the idea of putting an exemption on one lake in the state. So, well, I mean, that we, was we support uh, you. Yeah. D or uh, DNR Jason, take notes, would you? Yeah. Go ahead and talk to your boss. <laughs> oh, yeah. DNR yeah. Jason. S- send this up to your buddies, would you? Send it up to Lansing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, right. um, so let's get into. 
Let's go. We get off the controversial topics. Let's talk some. All right. All right. Fine. Take a back seat, Bob. All right. So we've talked about it before. Like when you're going out for for a, uh, a musky trip, Sinclair's a beast, right? So we're used to fishing smaller lakes where you can kind of look at a Navionics map, pick your points, pick out whether it's a break line, whether it's a weed line, rock line. You've got shores that you can bust. How do you like? What are you looking for when you're going out to St. Clair? Like when you're maybe prepping for a day? Are you what are you looking for? Whether it's a, are you looking for weather, water temp? Like what's for you the biggest deciding factor of where you're going to set up? I mean, obviously you've got your spots, right? But those spots probably change year by year. But I guess what are you oh, looking yeah. for before you take your clients out? Yeah, I mean, so there's a there's a lot of factors. That's a long list. Um, I mean, I'd say probably the the single biggest factor when you're locating muskies in open water is going to be bait. Where 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 are you finding bait? Because this is a big open water fishery, so you're always looking for the schools of shad. That's what the big muskies are following. Um, and the easiest way to find shad is to find good water clarity. You want to find stained water. Water's got some color, and the majority of the stuff in the summertime is getting clear. And there's just very little that lives in that from a musky standpoint. Smallmouth don't seem to mind it. Walleye take or leave it, but don't love it. But muskies and, and shad, it's really hard to find them. And it's hard to catch them, too, when it's gin clear. So you're looking for green water, basically, or teal water. Um, the other one is weeds. Like, if you can find open water weeds, you're going to, you know, big cabbage beds. There's a lot of them out there. And uh, if you can find those, and they move every year. If you find those, especially if you have good water on top of it with bait, you know, you're going to be in business. But in general, I mean, it's it's a puzzle every day. So, I mean, the way that that lake runs is if, you know, if you've got wind, you can get away fishing areas that are a little bit clearer. Um, if you've got, you know, if you've got glass flat conditions, you really got to run to the dingiest stuff you can find because it's hard to trick them when it's glass, you know, glass flat and clear. Um, there's, there's several different pods of fish in the lake, especially right now. It seems like we have one kind of pod on the east side of the lake from Roscom to the east. And then you got another pod that kind of runs around the, the mid lake area. The mid lake tends to be much clearer. It's much colder. So you avoid that early in the year and then start fishing that mid July. Um, you know, that water is also clear. So you, you avoid that on the days it's calm and you hit it when it's, when it's windy or low light, things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of different factors like any other big body of water. It's not just a one, one trick wonder. You just, you know, you lay down in the log and then you just log like you can in a reservoir. You got to find different things in different conditions, yeah. but that's kind of what's run down. So when you're, when you're talking weed beds though, you're talking like a couple hundred yards, maybe a mile stretch of, of weed, like. Are you talking miles. About miles, miles of weeds? Like again, we're 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 normally fishing smaller bodies of water, and you're looking at weed beds that's maybe a hundred yards. You're talking miles of weed beds. The really bad years for me as a caster is when those don't exist. But like <laughs> this year, the South Hour had 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 unbelievable weed growth. We had really good weed growth. Now that the Great Lakes are coming back down again. Like the weeds came up really well on the South Shore there. And, uh, you know, we had really good weed growth for, for several miles, probably, probably four to five miles at least. Now it's not like one big bed that it's all uniform either. Like there's patches and spots of it. And you, you know, basically what we were doing is you find the densest areas where it's real thick. And then you, you know, you got also factor in the water clarity as well. But if you can find that those dense weed pockets, you'll, you'll find fish. And then the big thing too, is when you're doing it, you, you got to waypoint every action you get. Because where there's one, there's more. And then there's a lot of areas with 
more stubble and scattered weeds, one every 10 feet that just aren't holding fish. But you'll realize when you start getting on something that you'll keep seeing fish in those same in those same pockets. Yeah. Jason and Bob and I know about uh, looking for weeds. <laughs> we went out uh, last year, I think it was opening weekend or maybe middle June, and we went up into like Anchor Bay and Bouvier Bay just driving around, just first day out looking for weeds. I think we went through half tank of gas. We couldn't find a weed bed one up there. And like we we had fished it before and we found some generally some decent weed beds before. We drove around, we couldn't find a damn weed bed one. I don't know if you're noticing that like in like up in the shallower parts of it, but yeah. Eric inside our weed growth is so far down. I mean, Anchor Bay used to be loaded with cabbage and that is gone. Yeah. Yeah, we, we experienced that firsthand. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I and and I don't know what that I mean, we we we've been speculating for years on why Anchor Bay especially has been fishing so tough. And like normally we we don't fish a lot except for like the first two weeks and then the end of the year, which, and now the, for me, the first two weeks, I don't even start doing muskies yet. I'm still doing bass and walleye, but we, we rely on it heavily in the fall. And I mean, I probably have more 40 plus pounders out of anchor Bay than anywhere else. And, uh, you know, we used to get really jacked up for the last month of the season It's always the last thing to get going because of that warm water coming out of here on in the fall. But I mean, it was always awesome, big fish fishing. And now it's, I mean, I, I didn't catch a 50 inch out of anchor Bay this year. I don't think I got, well, I got one last year. I mean, I, we used to, there's years we have six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, wow. and, and you knew 50 or 60 amongst the other six or seven guides plus weekend warriors. Like you were hearing big fish get caught. Yeah. And now, it, I mean, I, I think I heard it three or four this year total. I mean, mm. bad. All right. We're not going to Anchor Bay no. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I've been telling you that for years. Kind of makes always me wind up in Anchor that, Bay. That's where we, we fish Anchor Bay more than anything. And I think that's probably our biggest problem is the last five, six years. Like I bet 90% of the time we go out, we've fished Anchor Bay. We have been seen, on the, we've seen a lot of we've fish. We've seen some giants and just in nothing Anchor that wanted, just, to, yeah, nothing wanted to bite. Kind of makes me uh, rethink the uh, bold prevent. Well, Bold prediction that I have coming up uh, <laughs> that I was going to make for this year. You um, might want to change that after this conversation. Don't, yeah. don't make it a 50-inch musket. No, no, don't make, Bob did that. He's I, eating I crow this that. year. Yeah, I um, so how, how important is water temp when it comes to musky? And I guess oh, maybe, maybe in like, maybe not just how important it is, but like in, in your decision of how you're going to attack the day. Like, Yeah, I mean, it makes a huge difference, like especially the first, the first six weeks of the season, you really want to look towards the warm, the warm water. You got to avoid the current. I mean, when that, when we open, normally the water around the St. Clair river can be low fifties. I mean, low to mid fifties. And then the East side will be pushing, can be 68, 69. I mean, you're talking a catastrophic difference in, you know, how, uh, you know, adjusted these fish are and how far off the spawn they are and how willing they are to bite. So it makes a huge, huge difference. And then once the water starts to warm, then the east side at times can get even too warm and it pushes more fish out deeper and pushes them more towards into the current, which is now cooler, but warm enough to get the fish at, you know, active and moving. And then in the fall time, it's the, it's, you know, it's the same thing. You're looking for warm water. Um, you know, those fish in the fall, they're, they're first pulling in to the South shore into the river areas and all the current areas. And then they're pulling in, on the north side, you know, anywhere around that warm water and that current, ideally. But yeah, I mean, you know, the temperature is always something to keep in mind. It doesn't, 
and maybe not, you know, total game. I don't pull up to a spot and say, oh, it's 68 here. I'm leaving. But in general, like it's, it's a huge, huge factor. So you made a comment on a, a different podcast that I had listened to you on. And that, that comment was, was comment was around wind. And you said that you can't control what you go out in, but you can, um, you can, you can control what you go out in, but you can't control what you come back in. How, so yeah. how important is wind when you're deciding where you're fishing? Cause that's generally like, if it's blowing out of the Northwest, we're probably going up to Anchor Bay to get out of the wind where it, does that factor in your decision at all? Or are you just, you just riding it with your 22 footer <laughs> or however big your oh, boat is? So, uh, well, that, that's a complicated and uh, it's a question. I don't want my insurance adjuster to, to hear. <laughs> but, um, I, honestly, with the lake getting clear and us having a little bit more and more trouble every year, trying to keep good clarity in the water, it just seems to be getting clear. Now with the water being lower this year, that might change back a little bit for us, but it seems like our number one factor to getting fish consistently and getting the bigger numbers days and the bigger bites is getting some wind. So uh, the, the, the flat calm, you know, big fish still come around and you can still get them. It's still St. Clair. It's the only spot I've ever fished in the world that you know, two o'clock on a glass flat day, you can still get a 52 inch or 55 inch or whatever, but consistently it doesn't seem to happen now that they're smarter or the water or whatever it is. So wind is a huge factor. So like I lick my chops when I see there's going to be a 10 to 20 mile an hour wind. Now it'd be nice if it stayed at the 10 to 20 and yeah. didn't go to the 30 <laughs> or 35. Um, but to be perfectly honest with you, the bigger boats, you know, how well they handle the water and the bite being so good. Like it, it does, it has really emboldened me from when I started. I mean, my, my boats almost doubled in weight from when I started my first 21 footer versus now I'm running a 622, which is basically 23. Um, so it does a good job, but I mean, wind direction is a big factor. Like the big reason we always want South winds on St. Clair is because we are pr- primarily fishing along the South shore. So you can launch at the South shore and then run all the way across and hug it in. So that way you don't have to do 22 miles, you know, in four footers, you do the whole thing, you know, only a quarter mile offshore on a South at 30, you know, you're talking eight, 10 inches of chop probably when you're that close to shore right. and then you get to where you want to go and then you cut straight out going with them. And then when you have to come in, you go slowly, uh, you know, against them coming in and then you run the whole shoreline back over. So it's a quick in and out. The problem is when the wind's going in a different direction and then you, or, or it's going to switch. A lot of those funnel days, it starts at south and it's going to go to west. So yep. if you over overstay your welcome you're gonna take it in the teeth <laughs> so you well be, be, on top of that you got to fight all the the waves from the googans that are out there <laughs> oh, the yachts oh yeah, yeah. So, that's, uh, so that's that's a term we've uh we've made up for the either the idiots that are trying to launch their boat or the 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 guys in the yachts that roll up on plane you know 20 feet from your boat we name them googans so yeah. Sit there and wave. Yep. What are sit, they doing? Sit there and wave as they roll past you and just, yep, they just wave you and you want to kill them. Yep. Yeah. yeah. They're like, look, honey, look at those poor people in their little boats. <laughs> Chuck that pounder right on deck. Oh my God. Some of those power boats you see out there, man, they're just rolling like 70. You just hear it light oh, up. I, I, we've, we've been out there during the air show. Oh, on, on Anchor Bay, and just a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. We still fish it. That's probably the biggest deterrent of St. Clair is just, 
Like on a weekend, I won't even go near St. Clair because it's just a nightmare. Like I'll purposely schedule my days off work during the week just so I don't have to deal with the traffic out there. Because you could have a flat, calm day and you still have two, three footers just because of the the boat traffic that's out there. Right. It's crazy. But you got to get the other side of the lake. Other side of the lake. When you get over the Canadian side, you only have to deal with fishermen. You don't. You don't. See yeah, the, see, boat the Canadians don't party. They fish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's false. They're not. That's, yeah, that is false. I got a cottage in, cottage in Canada. I know they party over there. Right. So um, they, they don't. Well, they don't have pleasure boats though. And and the Windsor, you know, Windsor's the size of you know one tiny suburb of Detroit, let alone all of it. <laughs> yeah, true. True. <laughs> all right. No, so, you have no people over there. <laughs> so. So most of our our listeners are going to be obviously your, your weekend warrior type uh, fishermen. So what tips do you have? Not stealing any secrets, but for a weekend warrior to to go out there and attack St. Clair and 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 try to be successful. Like if you had, I guess, one thing to tell a, a weekend warrior that that's going to get out once a, once a month, maybe. What's your one tip uh, for them besides hiring you? <laughs> I was going to say Spencer's going to tell them to fish more. <laughs> yeah, fish more and hire Spencer's Angling Adventures. Yeah. Um, if I had one one thing to say, um, I mean, obviously, like we talked already about locating fish, so I'll kind of avoid that one since we've already kind of gone over that. I mean, looking for good watercolor is probably one of your biggest ones. Um, uh, I, I, I One of the things that I struggle with, with some clientele and I see people do wrong a lot. And I think it's something that a lot of weekend warriors do wrong is St. Clair. When you're on St. Clair and you're throwing, like we all know what those fish eat. They eat bucktails and they eat rubber. You on fishing one day a month are not going to reinvent the entire lure parameters of St. Clair. So stick with what you know is going to work. Don't go through your whole dog on tackle box. And you and it's amazing to me how people they have bait changing disorder and they want to try all these different things. <laughs> Guilty, Guilty as charged. Yeah. So you're naming all of us right now. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know who's worse with that. Me or Bob. Never seen this before. <laughs> They're called snap swivels. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Bob's got like the quick release ones now, so we can just swap them out so fast. Oh yeah, you don't even you don't even have to uh, you don't even have to snap. You just kind of unwind. <laughs> at the it end of a quick. fishing day, you look at the front of Bob's yours you look at the front of Bob's boat, and he's got his entire tackle box just laying on the carpet of his front of his boat. I'm terrible. <laughs> we were actually <laughs> asking this question for the listeners, aka us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your weekend warrior. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> That's funny. Um, well, good stuff. You guys got any other musky related questions? I do. I've I've got two real quick, not controversial. I don't mean to cut. Are you sure they're controversial? Want somebody raise their hand? One one might be a little bit. I don't know, but the um, so what? Uh, just from uh, just a personal question. What's your personal best musky? My personal best is fifty five and a quarter. Dang, Dang. giant. No, didn't on, um, was that didn't, on Saint Clair? Yeah, that was Claire. I've got I've got two of them out of two two fifty five and a quarters out of Claire. I've got nine fives or better out of Claire. Wow. So, second question: Where's the next world record coming out of? Saint Lawrence. Saint Lawrence all day. Okay. Okay. All right. When are we going to Saint Lawrence? Some, yeah. Some, yeah. <laughs> some people are arguing. Zero down. It's not coming out of Claire. A lot of a lot of now. people are saying Georgian Bay. You don't think ever it's going to come out of Saint Clair? Just too much traffic. 
they've been around. I mean, these are native muskies that have been there for a bazillion years. They're not going to all of a sudden start growing bigger. That's, fair. That's a good sure point. Um, now, didn't uh, Matt call it like the, the lake record or something, didn't he? Jason got the lake record. Jason. He got a 57 and a quarter. 57 yep. and a quarter. Jesus. It was the lake. That's a bit of an outlier. That that does not help my theory of it never coming out of St. Clair. But we don't, <laughs> we don't have the girth, though. We really don't. Like, we yeah. don't have the weight for them. We also have way too many of them. If you look at the places that truly are in the top tier of a world record conversation, which, in my opinion, basically reads like three different lakes, which would be St. Lawrence, Georgian Bay, and then you have to put the Antrim chain in Michigan in it as well. And all of them have one thing in common. They have crazy low densities of muskies. You have you cannot have any competition for food. They can't get caught very often. You have to unbelievable amounts of forage. Um, and if you look at all three of those areas, they've all produced fish in the high 50-pound range, which, I mean, depending on what you perceive as the actual world record, which is a hugely loaded question. But if you assume the next world record is a 65-pounder or more, if you go to Louis Spray's fish, we're talking 70, like nowhere else has been able to produce high 50-pound fish with any consistency over the course of decades um, other than those three places. So to me, the, the Malaxes, the Green Bays, the Vermilions, uh, the Eagles – um, I mean, yes, they produce 50 pounders and some in the low 50s, but I still put them in the second tier because they've never produced 57 plus pound fish with, with any abundance at all. Yeah, see, Green Bay would have been on my list just because some of the, I mean, you just see some tanks caught out of there, and it just, I would, I would have put that high in the list, in my thoughts, but my, my non-professional opinion. I mean, no. I mean, it, I don't think it's always been that way either. I think Green Bay is just kind of recent, really, really like within the last decade or so, has mm-hmm. become a, like a really upcoming fishery when it comes to muskies, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a stocked fishery, so I mean, it's I mean, it actually could have the potential to continue to grow fish bigger and bigger. And actually, the fish that got caught there this late, late fall that was. Yeah, it was like fifty-five and a half by twenty-nine or twenty-nine and a half or some. It was that was by far the heaviest fish that I believe I've ever seen out of there um, that's been pictured, uh, which I would put definitely in the mid forty, mid fifty-pound range. Um, and it was a head-to-toe just bruiser. Um, so may, maybe it's possible out of there, but I just have, and I know that the Green Bay guys like to, like to pump that up that it's the next world record location. But in my opinion, until you've produced fish over 50 pounds but if you look at the st lawrence over the last 40 years you know there has been a lot of fish over 57 pounds let's say that have been produced green bay's never produced one that's to my knowledge at least there's never been one certified Hmm. um but you look at Richie clark's fish dale mcnair's fish bob walter's fish i mean there's so many of them that are just so big that have been caught out of there that yeah, I mean, I, I think it's more likely out that direction. But like I said, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's out of the question in Green Bay. I just would put it on the second tier. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be caught on like a bass spinnerbait or a crawler or harness or something anyways. Yeah. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> it is, it's, like that, it's like that Belleville Lake uh, giant that they caught up there, smallmouth fishing. Oh, Bel Bel Air. Oh, Bel Air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that Bel Bel Lake. Yeah, they caught a smallmouth fish, (laughs) and I don't remember what they were using, but yeah, they caught the. Yeah, it was on light tackle. It was on a 
on like an eight inch eight inch sucker or something, which yeah. is like who the heck uses <laughs> but they but those places too, like all the places that we just listed, they all have one thing in common. They produce big muskies, but they also produce big fish of every other species. So and those guys, like I I know some guys that had interviewed them and things, and they they catch some ridiculous smallmouth up there too. Yeah. So because those are all big fish fisheries, period, for everybody. Well, we need to plan a trip up there too. Let's go. Let's go. You drove past it last year on your way to Tequamanon. <laughs> Not really, kinda. Yeah, yeah we fish. as we drove to Tequamanon. Oh man, have you ever fished that, Spencer? Tequamana River? No, no, I haven't. It's, it's, no, it, no. it was a fun trip. It was a fun fishing, but fishery, not, not, Yeah, we, I we mean, we didn't catch a, a ton. We saw that. we saw a decent amount, but for not knowing what the hell we were doing and first time up there, like I, I thought it was productive. Yeah, so. it was fun. I I they definitely don't have the size up there, but um, it was still a fun trip. But um, Captain Jason, you got any any questions? I'm relatively new to the musky world. Um, I have sunk some money into some tackle and setups, <laughs> but uh, so the little backstory to that is when I showed up at Ryan's house to go musky fishing with him and Bob this year, I said, yeah, I'll bring some of my tackle and we can look through it. And if we don't bring it, no big deal. Right. And so I dropped the tailgate on my truck and I had, you know, a special mate box loaded and a five-gallon bucket, which is the poor man's special mate box. Yeah. And that was, around, you know, around the rim. And they're like, you said you didn't musky fish. And I'm like, well, I don't really, but I got a lot of tackle for it. <laughs> you dropped a lot of money in it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dan, Jimmy, you guys got any musky-related questions? Yeah. Um, so a question that I have is what kind of – so I'm also getting into it. Um, my question is what gear would you recommend to start with? Like rod, reel, you know, couple, a uh, couple lures. What, what would you recommend going with for somebody who's just getting into it? We've corrupted these guys and they're all getting into musky fishing now. Right. So. It's a great question. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of different stuff out there. Um, for me, I, I just started running the new musky innovations rods. Um, I used to run the chaos rods. They're still great rods, nothing against them. But the Musk Innovations rods built built me a lot, or I helped them build a, a lot better rubber rod, which is what I particularly use. Um, and they make they make a great rod lineup. I mean, they really, really do from top to bottom. I think they're they're really, really nice. Um, some of the best stuff I've used, and they're a decent price point. They're only two to two twenty um, for reels. Reels, unfortunately, in my opinion, I think are are lacking as far as reels that can actually take the abuse day in and day out. But the, the Abu Garcia Revo Beast, um, Revo Beast and, and uh, Revo Rock, I, I really, really like as far as new stuff. Um, I still have more Shimano. I love those reels. They haven't been made since. Like, yeah. So, I mean, you got you to snipe them somewhere. But they're, yeah, they're but about they're impossible all, to find. But I know. I, have, <laughs> I think I have 18 of them. So I'm part of the problem. <laughs> You're the reason I can't find them. <laughs> Bob and oh, I, I both know, use I the uh, the Revo Toro Beast. I think Jason, you got a Revo, didn't you? And I, I, yeah. I mean, to me, that was the biggest game changer because uh, we had just the what the C three, the yeah, C four, just your basic setup, and like pulling bucktails was absolutely impossible. It was, it was like pulling a trash can lid. But then you switch <laughs> over to that Revo Toro Beast, and it's just like butter. Like you don't even feel it. Like it is right. night and day difference, and that's. In my opinion, it's always been key. Like the longer you can fish, the more likely you are to to 
put yourself on on some fish. But you can't last throwing those C3s and C4. C4, to me, was, like, the worst reel I ever had. Like, I was just throwing, like, a single-bladed MEPS, and I'm like, this is ridiculous how much resistance there is on this reel. Right. Maybe I had a shit reel, but you can, that Toro Beast was, like, I, I'd recommend it to anybody. You can make your life a lot easier yeah. by investing some equipment. Big power handle. Yeah. It's, it's worth the money. You're going to spend a little bit more, but I, I'm telling you, if you want to get serious about musky fishing... Yeah, power go, handle. Go with it. <laughs> um, are, are you looking at something with the, as far as the reel is concerned, are you looking for something with a little bit faster gear ratio to pull up that slack when you're fishing bulldogs and things like that? It just depends. So, like, I use a couple different ones. So, like, the Calcutta the, the, the TEs that I was referring to earlier, I mean, they're only a 25-inch per crank reel. So I use those when I want to get baits down. I don't want to fish stuff real aggressively. The Revo, the Revo Beast, the 34-inch per crank, I use with my rubber stuff when I want to go a little bit, or I want to go faster and, and rip a lot, you know, a lot harder, quicker. You know, normally when we got wind and the fish are eating higher in the column. And then the Revo Rockets are my favorite for bucktails. So that's kind of my quick lineup. Like there's times though, if it's really windy, I'll go with a rocket for rubber, um, you know, things like that. But that's kind of my options. Like I, I do think a lot of people fish too high and too fast with rubber sometimes. Like part of the whole thing about rubber is getting it down and, you can say that you reel up slow, but from my experience, most people can do that for 10 casts and then they get talking and BSing. And before you know it, they haven't done it in an hour. So you need to do a ratio that allows you to do consistently with your just your classic, you know, natural cadence, so to speak. Gotcha. I like it. I do. I dig it. I think that's like the biggest thing I've noticed with Bulldogs the more I've been throwing them. Like my Revo is a, like the slower gear ratio because I wanted the, the, to be able to pull some of the bigger bucktails. And like, sometimes it's a pain in the ass to reel up the slack when you're trying to work a bulldog somewhat higher in the water column. Like, I think that's my, probably my investment this year is going to be the, the faster gear ratio, just to be able to eat up some of that slack when right. you need it. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So that's like the science to musky fishing. Like it's, <laughs> there's so much more to it than just like, well, just buy a musky reel and we're just s- cast out there and retrieve it. We're like, sitting here talking to the professor. So that's why we're we are, we are, we <laughs> are. Professor Berman. Oh. So. <laughs> Dan, you got a question? No, nope, no questions on my side. I, th- I find this all really interesting. Just kind of sitting. We got to get you in the most world, man. I know. I, <clears throat> I'd be af- I'd be afraid to hold the fish. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, Dan, yeah. I'll just let you. Uh, you could just borrow my tackle since I don't yeah. use it. You <laughs> just he doesn't it. use it. So I'll bring my kerosene boots. Hire a guide. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, you Does anybody Perfect. know a musky guide? <laughs> yeah. If only we knew a guy. Not a good one. <laughs> hey, right. I, I like casting too, so we're good. Yeah. What's up? I got one more. All right. Um, are there other lakes in Michigan that? Because uh, I because I heard you talking on another podcast as well, where you mentioned uh, that like Lake St. Clair and Lake Erie are not the best lakes to take like a smaller boat on. Um, are there other lakes in the state of Michigan that you would recommend uh, fishing for muskie if you like didn't have a boat that can handle waters like that? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, the Michigan DNR has done a very good job of stocking muskies around our state, and there's a lot of lakes that they've stocked. I mean, Thorn Apple would probably be the most well-known, um, and, and, is, and it's become a really good fishery. It was for a long time, then they switched it over to Great Lakes. Got a little lag there, but uh, it's 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 become a, a very good fishery again. Then there's there's a lot of other smaller inland lakes, ones they stock heavily. Then obviously you have the Indiana lakes that are you know Western those that are very close to the border within 
half hour, 40 minutes um, that are very good. And those are very small. Like Webster's only 649 acres. So I mean, you're talking real easy for a small boat. But obviously St. Clair is the furthest thing you want from place that you can do in a small boat. You know, um, even though we'll go out there in a 14-foot aluminum. I see him catching them in kayaks out there. Yeah, that's true. That's not, not me. Not for <laughs> not me. me. No, no. All right, Spencer. So um, so keeping up with tradition of the show, anytime we have a guest on, we will generally ask them to, to share a terrible story. That's kind of the premise of our show is we always we're decent fishermen and we have just crazy stuff that happens. And I got to believe you've got to have a, a good story of – your 250 days on the water every year for however many years. He's so. like, nope, every day is perfect. Every day is perfect. <laughs> I catch 15 muskie every day. Please sign up for me. No, so what uh, do you um, do? You have like a a good terrible story to to share with us? Yeah, I, I don't know if I can top some of your other ones, but uh, <laughs> I, I have had uh, through 14 years of guiding, I've had some very interesting guide experiences uh, from. You know, people drinking too much to people, you know, not showing up or something like that. But I, I was probably going to tell you two stories. I got I got one. Um, I had guys come out with me. This is a long time. It was probably 10, 12 years ago, early in my career. They uh, they came out with me and, uh, you know, they're new to musky fishing. kind of. They were new to me as, as a client. And uh, we drove out in the morning. We went out like 15, 18 miles and uh, we set up on our first drift. I give them, you know, the baits, tell them how to run them, start running, they'll start fishing. And uh, you know, we're doing our drift. And like 20 minutes in, I, I hook up with a fish, um, you know, comes up and does like a little half jump, probably, you know, 30, 40 feet out. And they could tell it's like a low 40 incher. And uh, they were kind of going for the net. And I said, oh, no, don't, don't bother. It's, you know, it's not very big. It's like a 43, 42 inch or something like that. I'm just going to you know, get up the boat and pop it off. Cause I don't really like take too much time with fish that I catch. Um, and they're, and they kind of were hemming and hawing on me and they said, Oh, we, you know, we really want to net it. Said, okay. You know, I, I, that does happen. Like some guys want to see a musket. Oh, so I said, okay. So we, we, we get up the boat. I, I, we unhook the fish and they're like, everyone's got a chance to look at it in the net. You know, um, you know, I'm going to dump the net on the inside out and let the fish swim out. And the one guy looks at me and he's like, you know, I'd really like to hold it. And I'm like, yeah, a little bit, a little bit weird, but like, I'm not holding it up for a picture. So if it makes you happy and I'm trying to be accommodating as the guide, I'm thinking it's a little weird, but okay. So, you know, you want to hold it, that's fine. So he pulls it up for a quick picture and, you know, I said, all right, put the fish back. And he said, oh, I really want Bob to take a quick one too. And it's like, now this is, this has gotten really weird. And so I right, put the fish back in the net for a second. We put the fish back, and I said, really, we have to let Bob take a picture? And he's like, one quick one. I said, all right, in, up, and then over, and then in, like one shot. And we Do we do that? Fish swims away quick. The guy looks at me, and he says, okay, to the dock. I was like, what do you mean to the dock? It's 7.20 in the morning. We started at, you know, 6.30. We only been fishing for 20 minutes. He said, we got a 9.15 flight to Vegas, and we're going to be on it. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh, what? I looked at him like, what what the heck are you talking about? You got a three-day trip with me. And he's like, Nope, we just needed a cover for the wives. We are heading to Vegas. We've got a picture of a oh. picture of our body here. 
<laughs> we'll pay you for three days. We'll give you a generous tip. Don't post anything on social media. We are out of here. That worked out well for you. That worked out well for you. Uh, that was just a funny story, not a horrible Genius, though. Genius. <laughs> oh, my God. I would have never thought, I would have never had the cojones to do that, ever. What a great idea. <laughs> Our wives would kill us. Oh, yeah. yeah. No, they, they said that's actually why they took up <clears throat> musky fishing. Because they said that they used to do bass and walleye, and the wives started getting, you know, they were you know starting to pick up on the fact they never came home with any fish. So they did some research and realized that muskies, you know, all you have to do is tell some follow and miss stories and everyone believes it. Just take pictures of the boat, the water. The oh, I'm writing down notes right now. Well, our wives listen to this shit. We just ruined our chances of doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. So that, oh, was, that was probably one of the crazier ones I've ever seen. Um, I'd say probably the worst one, one of the, one of the really bad ones I had is I, I had an older client who was just a, and for lack of a better description, he was just a really crotchety old man. Uh, he was in his like early 80s. It was way early in my career. And uh, he used to hire me for, you know, a couple days at a time, two day stints, like three of them. And, uh, you know, he would always he'd get in the boat. He, he's got a lot of money, a lot of money. And he, he kind of I think he was convinced he could buy muskies. So when he would get in the boat, he always tell me. You know, if you can get me a 50 incher, I'll give you a thousand dollar tip. And then at, which was, at the time I was charging, I think 500 a day. So you're talking about 200%. So this is like, a, yeah, that's an astronomical amount, but never once did ever change my game plan. So then if that wasn't enough, as we went out, he would raise the dollar amount throughout the day. Like every hour it would go up. It'd be 1100, 1200. And he normally like four hours in, if we didn't have a 50 incher, he would be so angry that he would just say, you're not on fish. And he'd go and we'd he'd tell me to go in. And then if he, if I didn't get him a 50, I got nothing. So like I, I, he'd pay me for the day, but I get no tip, which literally doesn't happen to, to most guides. But like, that was the, that was the gamble I was taking. So I did this for a couple of years and he was just a miserable person to be in the boat with. So we were out one day, uh, it was the first day of our trip. And I, we were up to like 1400. It was like almost at the, at the make or break point. And we were trolling this point. He was too old to cast, So we were trolling and we caught like four or five fish, but no 50. So it, you know, it doesn't count. And, uh, so anyway, the, all of a sudden bucktail on the outside rod takes off running, like just screaming. And I'm like, dude, this is a big one. And it comes up and it jumps. And, uh, you know, I, I, I could tell it was, you know, I really thought it was over well over 50. And so I give him the rod and, you know, he was, he's 80 some years old. So he was not great at reeling it in. So he's reeling in the fish. I'm trying to manage the boat. It's just the two of us. So I'm getting the net ready and everything else and get the fish about halfway back. And all of a sudden he, he hands me the rod and says, Spencer, hold the rod. I have to pee. <laughs> like this is like my, this is my most valuable fish of the season, short of PMTP. It's on the line. He he hands it to me. And like when he did so, he ha- I'm on the back deck, so he hands it forward towards the fish. So the first thing I did, like right, other than shock, obviously, is I grabbed the rod and I reeled up some line. And he's oh my gosh, he bit my eye. That's my effing fish. Don't freaking reel it up. I'm paying a lot of money for that. It's like oh gee, many Christmas. So I like kind of dove over to the throttle control while holding the rod. I kicked us back up to like three miles an hour, so that way I could just hold the rod and slowly let out line. 
And if the fish came at us, hopefully we're going fast enough that I, I don't have I don't have black and I can't reel anymore. He's telling me I can't reel the rods, his fish. So he has a bag that he has to get out of a compartment, gets his piss jug out, takes a leak, then dumps it, rinses the whole thing off in the water, puts it back in his book bag, puts the book bag back in the compartment, closes the compartment all with no urgency at all, and then comes back, grabs the rod, and by some miracle. We still had the fish on. We brought it in. It was 51 inches. I got paid. He was happy. But yeah, that was that was something I never thought going into the job that I was ever going to hear. Pay the man his money. Well, at least the dude didn't have to take a shit on it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I thought we were going down that road. <laughs> yeah. He was going to so poop in a bag. No, it wasn't. But it was more the timing <laughs> of the situation. Like we've been on the boat for six hours. Like real, it has to happen right. I mean, a, a, a rolling fight, especially in a small boat. Like I slow the boat down a lot more. Like we're only talking a couple minutes here. Like can't you? Can't you muster through here? <laughs> or based on some of the other stories we've had, just piss your pants. And exactly. Get yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You got a 50 plus on like, yeah, no, I'm pissing my pants. If I got Probably, that bad. Yeah. It yeah. Is, yeah. I'll worry about it uh, afterwards. It is a miracle that that guy didn't end up going for a swim, you know, just. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I made a pushing motion with my hands. <laughs> by the way. Props to Spencer. For yeah. Not no kidding. Patience. Oh, man. Wow. Yeah. That's, that was, that was something. That's uh, that's one of the that's that's one of the best ones we had. That's, that's a like, pretty good one. Yeah, just because it, it didn't have shit in it. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. yeah, you might be the new champ because of the fact that it's not oh, it was, that gross. It was not a shitty story. I no. heard some of the other ones. They're pretty good. I've, <laughs> I, I've done I've done plenty of that. I've no, it was not in the job description 14 years ago that I'd be cleaning shit off my boat, but I have done it on. It was not in the job description. I was I was ill. I was adequately, you know, instructed in that card. But wow. uh, you got to invest in the luggable loo for your vote. <laughs> did, yeah. he say, did he just I say he has one. done it? <laughs> yeah, I do have one. I have a bucket. I have the Ranger bucket. The I have Ranger the, bucket. Probably the eighty dollar bucket that comes with your new six twenty two. That I put that luggable loo top on it. Oh, that's oh, nice. there you go. Smart. Genius. Yeah. yeah. Bob yeah. and I went up to, to Quamanon last year and we were we were planning on like a couple of days we were gonna go up to the falls, which was like a seventeen mile jog, and we're like, Man, what do we gotta do when we're on the on the river and we're fifteen miles up? So we bought the Lugabaloo. Yeah, we were put thinking, it in his boat. We were thinking we could we could beach it and then just grab a tree yeah. and do our thing, but we're like, eh, why not? Like, no, we want to keep all the fish. Yeah, we stopped the at show. Jay's on the way up and we were like, No, <laughs> yeah. that's worth thirty bucks all day. Yeah. We, we never had to use it though. Never used it once. I think just mentally, <laughs> it was like a mental block. We just shut it down. Right, and, right. Oh man, that's that's good stuff. Good stuff. If it, if it, if it always ended up in the luggable loo, there'd be a lot less cleaning required by the captain. <laughs> that's the problem. That's that's the downfall of being a captain. Captain Jason knows that too all too well. Well, in in my situation at that time, it was before I had my captain's license, so I was just the first mate, and I was very thankful that Captain Paul said, this is not one of the tasks that I will give to you. I will handle this, and I said, thank you. That's, yeah. a, that's a good captain there. Yep. <laughs> yep. Well, Spencer, um, <clears throat> I appreciate you getting on. Um, you want to take a minute to, to shout out any of your, uh, your sponsors or let people know where they can find you? Yeah, so I mean, I run Spencer's Angling Adventures, you know, St. Clair, Detroit River. Obviously, um, you can get a hold of me on any avenue, really. But uh, Spencer's Angling ADV, which is short for Adventures ADV, 
uh, at gmail or dot com. It's my you know it's my email address and my website. Um, social media Spencer Berman. Um, phone numbers four one nine four one zero zero four nine eight. Um, you know smoke signals, whatever works for you. Just <laughs> get in touch with me and happy to happy to work and you know, answer any questions and try to get everybody on the water and get them some fish. Awesome. So I'll uh, I'll link all this in the description of this, and then we'll be sharing this on social media. So I'll share your your Facebook page, Spencer, Perfect. and um, uh, put your social media or your your website and all that stuff on there too, so uh, listeners can, can find you. So um, one of the other questions I had: so um, what if somebody wants to book a trip with you? I guess regardless of of because you you do walleye, smallmouth, and and muskie, do they need to bring any gear, or how do you how do you work that? No. So, um, all you need to bring is you need to bring weather appropriate clothing, which number Jimmy, one is rain up. gear. Um, <laughs> Always bring <laughs> rain gear. And, and yeah, when it, when it, you know, when, when we're on the river in the spring and the water's 38 degrees and it's high of 40, don't show up in jeans and a, in a, in a hoodie. Oh man. The weather, weather appropriate clothing, um, your fishing license, which will give you a link to buy online real easy. And then whatever you want to eat or drink, that's all you have to bring. So the walleye trips bring a cooler to take the, the clean fish home. In. I got that part all day. <laughs> there you go. Jimmy so is known for Jimmy's known for not coming prepared to fishing trips. I, you know what? I'm, I we went we out to tell him. we went out to Thorn Apple in the fall. What was that like? October, cold yeah. as shit. Jimmy <laughs> shows up in just jeans and a hoodie. Thank God, Jason brought an extra pair of bibs, a jacket, gloves. Guy didn't have nothing. He would have been dying out there. And then and then earlier this year. We are last year, we had a trip up north, up in uh, Alpena, and normally I'm used to it being cold. Oh, yeah. And uh, so I didn't bring any warm gear. Uh, it ended up being hotter than heck. Uh, so I brought... You didn't even bring sunblock. <laughs> I didn't bring sunblock. I didn't bring shorts. I, I brought basically just stuff for cold gear. And I got so sunburnt that I got sun poisoning. It was terrible. This is Michigan, man. You got to plan for <laughs> you do all four yeah. seasons. I, I keep a bag day. in my boat that's got my bibs, got a jacket. I keep sunblocking it like I am ready for every. Yeah, day, I right? I keep a little travel case of sunblock. I put it right in the pocket of my snow pants. <laughs> he's, got it, he's got it right now. <laughs> I've got some in the glove box at all times, and yeah. I I save a lot of people on that one. I, I didn't and then realize water. I didn't realize sunblock no, no expires. One. If anybody didn't know that. I had one in there and I, I checked it like after three years and it, that stuff's only good for like a year. <laughs> three it's, years? It turns into, well, yeah, like, I mean, yeah. it, it turns into like cottage cheese after a watch. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. I can, I can tell you as, as a redhead that guides in the Great Lakes, my sunblock never expires. It's never there that long. <laughs> you just yeah. lather it on. Zinc yeah. oxide. Oh, my God. Well, that's funny. Thanks so, for this <laughs> Well, very cool. Well, I know, um, you know, Bob and I have talked for, for years about booking a trip with you. And, um, you know, for, for me, it's, it's never really been about not wanting to spend the money. It's just because it's, it's almost like a pride thing. Like, I feel like I want to, I want to master this musky thing by myself and trying to figure it out ourselves. And I, I think I'm to the point where like, yeah, at this point we're, we're done with like, that. we're probably just going to book a trip with you, Spencer. <laughs> um, I just, you know, we've, we've been doing this, what, probably what 12 years 13 years we've been fishing musky uh, like it's, it's hard been a, it's and like hot minute we've we've put some fish in the boat but just not enough not so, enough no so i think we're to the point where we're probably gonna end up booking a trip with you so i don't know if you have any openings this this year i know you book up solid because i have looked before like on your site and you're booked pretty solid but um we want to fish with the professor too so yeah 
No offense to your uh, other I can, guys. I can always, <laughs> yeah. I can always, I can always forget, so let's <laughs> let me know. If you have any cancellations. It, it does cut down your learning curve. So yeah. that is one thing, too. Guys that like to do it them, themselves, and I get that because I'm, you know, I I'm definitely feel that way in some in some things. But you learn a lot when you fish with someone that's on the water a lot. Well, that that's exactly not- it. Like I think it's to the point where like I would like to fish with you just one, just to kind of pick your brains and kind of see see what you do, see what the master does. You know, like someone who knows who fishes that lake two hundred plus days a year. Like we get a chance maybe what five ten times a year. Yeah. To really fish musky hard on St. Clair, which is nothing. Like it takes, it would take us twenty years to even do fish as much <laughs> as you do in a year. Like yeah. so, um, yeah. Look, we'll, we'll probably be reaching out to you to try to book something this year. So, awesome. are awesome. you uh, are you going to be at the fishing show? Which one? Uh, Detroit. Here coming well, up. You got weekend? the Chicago musky show you're doing, right? Oh, Chicago's the next one for me. I just do the musky shows. So okay. I'll do Chicago. My first one, so I think the Chicago show is like the same weekend as the ultimate fishing show in Detroit. I thought it's in a couple weeks, isn't it? Or next week, normally is, yeah. Okay, I don't know if it is this year. I didn't look at the ultimate, but it normally they normally do overlap. Gotcha, so gotcha. Well, very cool. Um, you go, you boys got any last questions for Spencer before we wrap it up here? Nothing for me. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thank thank you. Yeah, this has been great. Yeah. I just got one thing, Spencer. I know. Uh, oh I, man, I knew, I knew you were going to. I knew he was going. He knew I was going to talk about it. Uh, you, you probably definitely don't remember, but I met you one time. <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> <laughs> I met you in uh, the checkout line at Cabela's in Dundee. You were buying small oh, Okay. Gear. Yeah, I ran into you, and I'm oh, like, hey, I'm like, hey, aren't you Spencer Berman? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> like, who the hell is this guy? <laughs> yeah. And I was like. Yeah, man, I I watch all your stuff. I was like a like a like a creepy fan and uh, swim fan. Yeah, you, I, I, I mean, we, we made we made small talk about smallmouth for a minute. I was buying okay. a bunch of musky lures that I'm still polishing. So yeah, yeah. there you go. He definitely remembers. Well, I thought you were you know, I met at the lake and I yelled at you. <laughs> he might have done that too. Yeah. What's that? He said he he might have yelled at you on the lake or something. Probably yes, yes. I'm that guy. <laughs> Very cool. Well, uh, Spencer, I appreciate um, you getting on. Um, I know it's uh, you've had a busy schedule. We've, I've, we've been putting this together for a little bit, a little bit of time. So, I appreciate you taking the time and talking to us. Um, it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Um, we don't really get a chance to talk musky. It's been a while since we talked musky. We uh, kind of beat it to death in the when we first started this podcast. So, I'm I'm excited to get back into talking fishing. We talked hunting for way too long. We beat hunting to death. Um, we're not Jason. We're not talking uh, spring turkey at all this year. <laughs> we beat that to death last year. Um, it's time for fishing. We can just so. delete that podcast yeah, episode. Exactly. Um, so we got walleye fishing right around the corner too. So Spencer, are you book solid for walleye guiding? No, we got we got some dates open. So there's not a ton, but like yeah, there's plenty open. I got a couple other guys too. So amongst the group, we do. But it that fills in fast. I mean, it's the fishing is so outstanding right now for walleye. I mean, the Lake Erie population is just outrageous i mean it's so good and they're getting bigger too we're getting a lot of really big fish it's all rod in hand it's all jigging which is you know very very appealing to most guys especially your casters like me i don't want to do it trolling yep. like i would rather have them in my hand and, you're not, you're uh, not you no know, time or hand lining in the river with those little rowboats yeah <laughs> <laughs> see them out there man they catch a lot of fish they do, very effective they do. but no I'd rather, jigging is a lot more fun and no, that's coming up the end of march for us so normally a- about the 25th of march I was going to say, is there a, a certain date you shoot for, or do you just go based on ice out, water temp? 
It seems like about the 25th is, is about when I want to start. It just, those fish don't, they're, they're not there year round. They don't, and they don't show up underneath the ice like they do in a lot of other areas, like in Green Bay. And I, I believe in Saginaw as well. They kind of, a lot of them will pull up underneath the ice. Our fish, till that water gets to close to th- about 38 degrees is kind of the magic number. And that they're just the guys that, you know, outside of, you know, the Detroit River and Lake Erie will be getting them. But we just, you know, we just don't have that many fish when that water's 34, 35, 36 degrees. So you really need to get it up a little bit, and and part of it's just your you know your your light levels and and the calendar like those fish do kind of know, and when you get to the last couple of days in March, they really start to show up. So that's kind of what I shoot for. Once in a while, I put my boat in earlier, but it just seems like you know normally the fishing is pretty sketchy, so I don't like putting clients in then. Um, if we start if we start whacking them, then I'll try to fill in a few days. But that twenty fifth of March is pretty solid every year for me. Very cool. Very cool. Like shot. Okay. shockingly solid weather conditions and now they it's amazing yeah <laughs> you never know with michigan this weather like it, it can be you know 20 degrees one day and what well, we just had a 65 degree day the other day like it's michigan for you pure michigan so. i know i haven't seen the sun in like two weeks so that's true that's it's been true. fog and cloud and dreary i'm man i'm ready for some spring sunshine so um spencer any final comments from you nope thanks a lot for having me it's a lot of fun so we like to be pretty laid back and not too not too formal. So, uh, but yeah, it was oh, a pleasure. Good. It was a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate you getting on. Um, you know, I'm, I'm excited for for the walleye run. I mean, we talked about it pretty heavily last year. We'll, we'll probably be be talking about it pretty soon. So, um, I'm looking forward to it. So, um, and then anybody listening, don't forget next week Ultimate Fishing Show. We will be set up with the uh, Fishing Complete guys, uh, booth twenty nine oh two. So we will be there all four days. Um, not necessarily everybody's going to be there all four days. I know Dan and I, I think, are going to be there every day, just kind of helping them with their booth and and running our own thing. I know Bob and Jimmy and um, hopefully Jason can make it down. Um, so come in, uh, just meet us. We're going to have um, some cool stuff we're giving away. Um, got some prizes and stuff we're giving away, so come check us out. Um, and other than that, boys, anything else? Nada. All right. You guys are going to see your lines? Be rooting, be tooting, <laughs> and by God, be shooting. <laughs> but above all, be kind. Oh my God, these guys <laughs> have these stupid sayings. Dan, and right. remember, kids, what happens on the podcast stays on the podcast. <laughs> Keep your legs crossed, your mind on Jesus. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> on that note, get outdoors and don't be terrible.